Good evening. It is six o'clock. Such hypocrisy and duplicity, Phariseeism and politics. I am Ronaldo McKenzie, and welcome to another episode of the Neoliberal Round Podcast. Such hypocrisy and duplicity, Phariseeism and politics. I am Ronaldo McKenzie, and welcome to another episode of the Neoliberal Round Podcast. Hello, you are on time. Thank you for that. You will get a credit. I will. I will not forget this. I have all the recordings. I know who is here and who is not. You are on time. That's good. That's a good attribute. Jason is here, so that's good. That's great. Students are coming in. We have lots. We have a big class today. Big. Last week was major, I believe. Last week was major, but I believe today was. um, Today is. uh, Today we are. We continue with major heavy stuff. Last week we looked at American politics. We even went as far as discussing the Constitution, which was a very good question, um, which I, I latched onto that this week. So I was very happy and proud that you guys um, brought my attention. Uh, but today we have we're going to be talking about Haiti, which is it's a case study that looks at strategy. An American penetration in the world. But it looks at, but we have to look at Haiti because Haiti is the first Caribbean that got independence. Haiti is the first black country that was formerly colonized by you that got independence. And um, and if you read, if you watch the film on the Jacobins about um, Oliver Tua and how they, I mean, and how Toussaint and how they Fought against fought against um, France and, the, and Napoleon and secured the freedom. And um, I don't know if you guys got a chance to review the film or to watch the um, watch the YouTube video of the interview. Um, it's I believe probably for some of you it's quite revealing. And so some of you might have some questions. But um, Mr. Brand Conkanen sent an uh, sent an email today with some resources which I read, quite revealing, that talks about 1991 to 1994 and Brian Conkanen's work with Aristide to bring about democracy. And 
you know, when you are citizens, when you are people, you don't see what's going on in the background. You don't see the decision, the decision making taking place. And that is, and that is why there is this big thing going on in terms of citizenship journalism. And then people are trying to regulate podcasts, regulate independent news sources. Because then you realize how connected many of these news people and historians and scientists, how these people in society, how, the, how, we are, how people are connected and their connections slant the news. And so it's, and that is what I said to you, part of this class at the end of the day is not just to develop critical thinking and to how society works. Look at what has dogged the Caribbean. And, you know, when you look at how this class is being taught, when you look at the information I'm providing to you and how I'm teaching it and, and how I teach, I'm teaching it systematically. And you really go deep into the materials I'm sharing with you and the people I'm bringing on to the class. You understand why. You know, I said to somebody today, somebody said to me, a friend of mine, the class isn't, hasn't started yet. I'm just rapping with you guys. Somebody said, just um, Mr. Conkinen will start at 6.30. But um, somebody said to me, Renaldo, why do you write so? It's so difficult to read your writing. Oh, my God, your writing is so. All these highfalutin words or college words or whatever. It's, it was, and to me, they're very basic. Say, for example, I say communication is to make popular. What was the monopoly? And they would say, why do you have to say that? I'm like, that is very basic. But I said to you, the way in which people, you know, I said to you, education is important. And the kind of education that some people are exposed to will affect their ability to understand. But that was, so back in the days, that was okay. It's okay if some people didn't understand because that's how you are tricked. That's how you are duped. I expose myself to the big words and to the little words. You know, I, you know, I said to you, I write several articles and in it, I talk about theology, psychology, economics, Sigmund Freud and Marx and Kohlberg theory. And I, you know, because when you start to study society, society is system driven. I said, society is so complex. They make society so complex in order for you to understand, in order for you to make, to, in order for you to make changes. You have to first, baby, you have to unpack all of that. I say to you, the Bible was written in Latin, but only a few people could read Latin. So you will have to rely on the priest or the nobleman to tell you. Slaves weren't allowed to read and write and to be literate. And if you, once you started to, and then the Bible wasn't allowed to be translated. Why? And they come up with, oh, you have to keep it pure. Because not only you have to keep it for the few, only the few, so that the few can continue their hegemony and their domination in the world. So that is why it is education is, I mean, the Bible says, because, because of a lack of knowledge, the people perish. And that is absolute. You know, the, can I tell you, the Bible is powerful. It's all there. And I did a podcast recently talking about when it says, give us Barabbas, but away with Jesus speaks to human nature. The Bible speaks to human nature. Give us Barabbas, but away with Jesus. And, you, and I say to you, I did a podcast recently where I'm saying, look at some of these people who were involved in January 6th insurrection. Or let's just talk about Jamaica and the Caribbean. 
and the kind of politics, violent politics these politicians were involved in, but yet still, but yet still we promoted these people. We promote, um, you know, this is quite interesting, it's quite powerful. So it is very important that we, you, we, we, we appreciate knowledge and you try and, you know, don't dumb it down because it's not true. I, I say to some people, when you finish, I mean, the people who Wall Street want to work for them are people who know how to read and write equations and codes that can confuse people. Only them knowing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. So expose yourself to knowledge. So when I talk about Caribbean thought, this class, Caribbean thought, it is about exposing us to information so that we can, so we can truly make decisions about the prosperity that has dogged our realities or created mixed realities. But I was doing quite, I have read, I did quite a few readings surrounding the Haitian issue some time ago when I had um, Brian Container on the show. But in preparation for this lecture, it's some more reading and I was provided with much more insight that um, insight about how Jamaica was part of that hegemony, how Jamaica was part of the bureaucracy in the 1990s, how some CARICOM countries were part of the bureaucracy that was facilitating the penetration of Haiti and part of the narrative that created a facade of false truth around Jean Bertrand Aristide. Quite interesting, man. Quite interesting and quite powerful. But I hope you guys have some questions for him today. Um, I have some questions for him because I started looking at the GDP. Let me tell you, I learned something very powerful. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for it for later. Not right now. Not right now. I can't wait to get into this, this lecture today. Man, I learned some things, guys. And let me see if I can bring it up real quick. Because I think I texted you guys that because we talk about the GDP. What's GDP? Gross domestic product of a country. Do you know that the gross domestic product of Haiti is higher than that of Jamaica and Bahamas? Do you know that, guys? In 2021, and I think I said that with you guys today. And by the way, um, I signed a petition, and you guys are welcome to sign the petition. But well, published for America, but I did sign the petition and I did reach out to Andrew Holness, the Prime Minister of Jamaica, and I um, via Twitter, and I told him that I would like to set up a meeting between himself, the IJDH, I mean the IJ, the Institute for, for Justice and Democracy, IJDH in Haiti, um, and the, the Executive Director, so that we can, because you know, when you look at what's going on in Haiti now, and then you Look at what happened in 1991 to 1990. It's almost, it is identical, it's the same thing. That is why it is very important. You, you have to revisit the past so you don't make the same mistakes. And I'm, and I'm learning that Prime Minister PJ Patterson and the people, and in fact, I, I, I'm gonna share a, a tweet. I'm gonna share a, 
I was very involved. Oops. You cannot minimize when you have a problem. Okay. I had a tweet earlier today. And if I could find that tweet, I said, I'd love to set up a meeting with Andrew Honis and Brian Concanen on the IJDH, on the Haitian crisis. I have read the archive and I see where in 1994, we, Jamaica, may have overstepped. Now, as the JLP leave, will they make the mistakes as Patterson and the PNP on the Haiti? And I'm not trying to be political. It has nothing to do with we. I'm not trying to politicize the issue. And um, I'm not trying to do that. But we have to learn from the past. And when I read the letter, and by the way, Mr. Concanen is, is very important. He's a very important figure in, try, in terms of over the last several hundred um, decades trying to work for peace and democracy. And I was, um, and by the way, there is a signature. You can sign a, a petition that looks at um, the US hands of Haiti. There's a petition, a movement where you can sign or get involved in this movement that speaks about the role of US, I mean, in terms of intervening in Haiti. And, and there is, a, and we'll talk more about that later on when he comes on the show. And you can also advocate, um, advocate, lobby the Jamaican government in terms of, we need to know what's going on in Haiti, what's Jamaican's position in Haiti, okay? What are, okay, what are the Haitians saying? And as CARICOM members, it's not just the government that's part of CARICOM. We, the people, that, and I'm an American citizen now, so, but I am part of the diaspora. So whatever happens in Jamaica, I, and I have family in Jamaica, okay? So Jamaica is, and that's my heritage. So what, so I am invested in what's going on there and in the Caribbean and what's going on in the world, okay? We are, I'm invested in that. And so, um, so that's very important. If you are familiar with former president of Haiti, Jean Bertrand Aristide, then you will understand how important Brian Concanen is when talking about Haiti. Brian is an American attorney who had been one of those helping Aristide restore democracy and law and order in Haiti back in 1991 to 1994, before he was assassinated. He will be presenting on the platform later on. And I tweeted that earlier. And um, this is some of the news I was sharing with you guys. And if you have questions, you can share some of those. I hope you guys have to. I don't know what questions you guys may have for him today, but I'm looking forward to, uh, to a powerful class. Now, um, hope, so, but before we, so those are some of the stuff we will be getting into today. Okay, we will, we will definitely be getting into some of those today. But some of the questions um, I have, I have for him, um, and I'll share that with you because I, I said to him, I'm gonna. One of the questions I will ask is this: Haiti is one of the poorest countries in the world. It's the one of the first colonies, the first colonies to get independent but they are one of the poorest countries in the world. But in 2021, Bahamas GDP was 11.21 billion, while Jamaica's was 14.66 billion. But Haiti's GDP was 20.94 billion. 20.94 billion, okay? How is Haiti's GDP that high? And why are they 
Why, why are why are why is it that their reality is worse than say Bahamas or Jamaica? Of course, he did respond to the question, and he said, "I think, of course, Haiti Haiti had the population of about twelve million. Jamaica's population is about three million. So, of course, um, the population they have, of course, Haiti Haiti should have a GDP that that's higher than Jamaica. But but when you delve into the numbers, that's still low when you think of twelve million. Three million people produce fourteen point six billion too. But I thought." But what? But my my first assumption was that they they didn't have any GDP, but they do. There is some billions of dollars, but where is the money? Um, Haiti is, and I'm not even going to answer that. If I were to ask you, what? Where is the money? Where is the money? But I want to get into the issue of inequality and poverty, because you have wealthy people in Haiti. You have the privileged class in Haiti. Yes. So we will get into that today because I think that's part of the problem. Okay, how, how are you guys doing guys? How, how's everybody? How is the week so far? Good evening, everyone. I've never been in diplomatic involved. I've never believed in Good evening, sir. Go ahead. Yes, sir. My husband been good so far. That's good, that's good. That's Chantel. Mary, what's going on with you guys? How are you? How was your week, sir? Oh my God, I've had a rough month this month. But God is, let me tell you, I'm a, I, I, I tweeted something. I don't know if you guys follow me, but if you guys follow me, you will I'd share my life on social media in a sense. And I was, I, today, and I'm a man of the spirit. I'm a man of tremendous faith. And when I tell him I'm a man of faith, I'm not joking. I'm a man of faith. And, um, I, and I, in fact, I tweeted something today as we get ready to get into the class. And I tweeted this. I'm going to pray before we start. I said, God is great. Here I am going through, going through it today. But God steps in and saves me. I can't wait to share this testimony of how God is intervening in my life. And where he is taking me. I was on my last. But what a powerful experience I had today. I am writing a book, Secrets to Unlocking Divine Intervention. And of course, those of us who know, I am actually writing a book. I'm writing several books. This, this second book is about to be published. Um, and it's going to be co-authored by some famous guy. And um, it's going to, it's, and we're giving God thanks for what he's doing with that book. And the third book is about it's different from the fourth. The fourth book is Secrets to Unlocking Divine Intervention. And the fifth book is God. I know, you know, I've been praying some time ago. I said, God, give me content. Give me wisdom. Give me the words. Give me content, God. And the end, last year, our podcast ended in the top five. We beat out a lot of major news commentary channels on the podcast. In news commentary, we were top five in the world in terms of content. God is giving, me con giving us content. You know what I mean? So, you know, sometimes I'm so emotional right now when I just think about how God is great. I went to church on Sunday and I said, I can't go to church to miss me on Sunday. And it's like, I said, God wanted me to be at church on Sunday, a particular church. And I almost missed it. And I went and I got there. And the pastor preached. What a powerful sermon. It was the most powerful sermon that I've heard in a long time. God was speaking directly to me. 
And he said, keep pressing, keep pushing. And let me tell you, I go through a lot. People don't know what I'm going through. I smile a lot. You know, people see me, they think everything is fine. I'm good because yeah, everything is fine. Because yeah, when you serve a God that you, uh, you know, and by the way, I tweeted something. Um, I said, don't be afraid to promote the goodness of God, even when others doubt your experience. Mm-hmm. Even when others doubt your experience. That's what I said. Even when others doubt your experience. They can't speak for you only for yourself. And that even in this, when I think about Caribbean thought and what I'm trying and, and what we do in Caribbean thought. And when we talk about Rex Nettleford speaking about, Rex Nettleford talks about identity. Okay. An identity from without, an identity from within. And what is the Caribbean, the Caribbean's identity? He talks about that, and if I have it, and hopefully I have a chance to talk about that in terms of identity and who you are. And I say to you, don't let anybody belittle your experience, okay? And I, you know, some time ago I shared on a podcast. Some time ago, I remember I was an executive working as a chief planner for a company in New York. And I just knew that this is not where God wanted me. You know, because, you know, some of us, we don't like to take risks. We like it. You know, we don't want to take risks. We prefer staying in a 95 job, being E, when God will have bigger stuff for us. But, it, but it, it's going to be a lot of work when you have your own business sacrifice, especially when you don't born in money. You don't, we are not for money and I'm immigrant. We don't born in, I don't born in money. Okay? And I tell that to people. You don't born in money. Okay? You know, Amazon... When Jeff Bezos started Amazon, he could start it and got, he got, you know, they believe he got $300,000 from his grandparents. I don't have $300,000 from anybody to give. So we, you have to be strategic. You have to be strategic. Yeah, and when I talk about strategy, you guys don't understand, probably may not understand. And I'm going to probably, we have to do, I hope JTS develop a course in strategy. Okay. But don't, but I, sat down and I opened up my laptop and I, pr- I started praying. I mean, I was about to get ready to work. And I said, I just feel in my spirit. This is not what I'm, t- where I'm supposed to be. This is not what I'm supposed to be doing. Working a regular nine to five, but I was actually working 18 hours a day, <laughs> you know? And I said, God, let them fire me. <laughs> and my mom said, I'm crazy to say that. Let them fire me. And let this happen and let that happen and let this happen. Let me get into Georgetown to do my doctorate and I'll publish that first book. If I have to drive a cab on the side, I'll do it. But this is not where you want me to be. Let them fire me in God. I can't I won't resign. I want them to fire me. So because if I resign, I won't get that lump sum. But if they fire me, then I will get the lump sum that they make. They fire me. In 15 minutes, I got a phone call. I wouldn't expect no phone, phone call. But in 15 minutes, I got a phone call and they terminated me. But everything that I prayed happened that I said I wanted to do. Okay. <laughs> I am giving God thanks today. And today something powerful happened. I was sure that we won't have time for that right now. But it's a personal testimony that I just want to encourage you guys. Whatever you're going through in your life, I'm telling you sometimes you might wonder where is God? I mean, I'm praying and God, nothing is happening. And, but 
sometimes the answer is there. And sometimes the answer is there and they don't act because the answer was there today when I was afraid. And God said, do what I tell you to do. Do it. Ask it. Share it. Do it. And I did it. <laughs> what a blessing today. I'm not going to share what it was, guys. But, I, but you know, I'm giving God thanks for what he's doing in the neoliberal corporation, what he's doing in my life, and where he is taking me. And it's just a blessing. It's just a blessing, and I'm giving God thanks. I'm giving God thanks. And even now, I pray. I get ready to begin class. And I say, Lord God, thank you for this opportunity to share with my students about some personal journeys and the opportunity to empower them and to share what I am learning. Help me not to be puffed up with knowledge, but help me to be humble, oh God. And I think you take me, you, sometimes you tear people down to humble them because knowing what's coming next so that they don't be puffed up. Help us to be humble, oh God, and empower us to empower others. Share what we have with others, Lord God. Touch my students, bless them. Give them a mind that is beyond none. Lord God, empower them with that critical thinking and with strategy. Grant them favor, Lord God. Help them to do well and bless them in their, in their, in their journeys in life. Help them to understand what you are doing in their lives, Lord God. Empower them in a profound way and help them to speak into other people's lives, not to keep the blessing for themselves. And as we get ready to, to, to engage and to wrap with Mr. Brian Conkainen, I pray, Lord God, that you will help us to have an amazing time talking about Haiti and the experience of the Caribbean and learning about what we can do as people of the Caribbean to help our brothers and our sisters in Haiti. And so we are appreciative of this opportunity and this gentleman coming to, be, um, to share with us in this class. And um, I pray that you promote JTS and what we are doing, continue to bless the school financially and in many other ways. And Lord God, and the liberal corporation and what we are doing. We tell you thanks, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen and amen. And um, so Mr. Conkainen is going to join us. So what's going to happen? He probably, the class again, whenever I have a guest, I will finish the class early so that you guys can reflect on the lectures. And probably formulate questions in your mind. So the lecture is supposed to be, we hope to have him for an hour, hour and a half. So we hope to finish the class by at least 8 or 8.50, okay? Um, or 8, but no later than 8.30. And um, he will present and then we will ask him questions. Now, I would love, if you guys have questions, that'd be great. I'd love for you to, um, I don't know if you guys have questions and you guys were able to familiarize yourself with um with the crisis, but you know, Haiti is dealing with some of the same issues we're dealing with, the issue of deportation and deportees. I mean, he just tweeted something about deportation. That is a, is a very important issue. And so we want to get into that as well. Uh, the issue of Haiti um, in terms of their GDP, the issue of their, what happened with um, Jean Bertrand at John Bertrand Aristide um, in 1994 and how Jamaica was involved and how, what, we can, what lessons we can learn and what's happening now? What uh, learn about the IJDH and some of their work to, help to bring about justice in the world? So he will join us shortly, and uh, and you guys will have a chance to ask a question. Just before we get into the lecture, any questions, guys? 
By the way, can you see me? Because last week you couldn't see. Um, yes, can, sir. Can you, can you, is it okay this week? Yes, sir. It's kind of bright, but it's worse seeing you. All right, hold on. Let me fix that quickly. Such hypocrisy and duplicity, Phariseeism and politics. I am Ronaldo McKenzie, and welcome to another episode of the Nearly Were Round podcast. And um and the work with the and now I, I got it now IJDH IJDH exactly great Institute for Justice and Democracy in Haiti and guys oh by the way if you can on let us see your screen guys and let me just do my official introduction and um so you guys so have it. yes go ahead it, it is the same thing as last week where you're on you're the only person that is seeing the um person nobody can see others so okay, I'm not so gonna I, it was last week. All right. What about now? Yes, sir. Uh, hold on, sir. Um, it's, give it one second because I, it was on focus mode, so I just um, fixed it. Okay, sir. You okay now? Okay, great. All right, but let me do the official introduction because Mr. Conkanen is here with us, and we are so delighted that Brian could join us. And so let me just do the official welcome here. Now, um... Today we have with us Brian Conkanen. Brian Conkanen is uh, is the executive director, the executive director of the Institute for Justice and Democracy in Haiti, and um, it is an it's an organization that is involved in promoting democracy and justice, and I'm going to say not just in Haiti, but across the world, especially those who are vulnerable. And so we are happy to have him with us. And some time ago, Mr. Conkanen joined us for the Neoliberal Realm podcast, and we were happy to have him. And by the way, he sent an email, and I was actually reading the e a dossier that he sent earlier, and I realized that Mr. Conkanen was uh, working in 1994 with former president of Haiti, Jean Bertrand Aristide, uh, in 1994, working to bring about justice working to bring about justice in Haiti. And so I'm going to allow um, Mr. Conkanen to introduce himself some more and to talk about the work that he does in Haiti. We have some quite several questions for him about what's going on in Haiti today. 
But um, I said to the class, I said to the class earlier that while reading some articles, some archives and letters, we realized that Jamaica was very involved, was part of the bureaucracy in, in the 1990s, um, as it relates to what went on with Jean Bretrade at his seed. And we don't want to make the same mistake. In 1994, it was the People's National Party that was in power. Today, the Jamaica Labour Party and Andrew Holness is in power. And um, and we and it seems as if they are making the same mistake. This when you read the letter that 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 you sent me earlier, it is almost it's the same thing that's happening. They where people outside are making decisions for Haiti. But first, before we get into that, we want we want to welcome you, sir. Brian, welcome to the Caribbean Thought class and to the Jamaica Theological Seminary, one of the oldest um seminaries in the Caribbean. Welcome. Well, thank you, Ronaldo, and it, it's a true honor to be joining the Caribbean Thought class, um, and I'm really looking forward to to a discussion. So, you know, I'll talk a little bit as as I was asked, but what I'm really looking forward to is is uh, hearing what um, what everybody in the class has to say and and, and engaging in a conversation. Um, yes. So, I'll talk a little bit quick about about my own um, my own trajectory. So, I'm I'm I. Right now, I'm, I'm working for the Institute for Justice and Democracy in Haiti. IJDH is the acronym we use. I spent the last 27 years working on Haiti. Um, I first got to Haiti in 1995. At the time, I was uh, looking to try to get into uh, international human rights work. And Haiti was really the first opportunity that presented itself. I, I went there as part of uh, the UN volunteer program. And I was a human rights observer, and our job was to was to uh, go around and kind of take the pulse of what was going on. I was uh, I monitored prisons, I monitored police stations, I monitored um, the court system, and we also had a great chance to talk to to people in civil society, grassroots leaders, religious leaders, politicians, to find out what was happening. And we were there. This was just after democracy had been restored. So Haiti had a had a uh, military dictatorship from 1991 to 1994. Democracy was restored, President Aristide, in 1994. And then um, it was, um, and, and, and then I got there a year later, and we were there to try to support this democratic transition. And um, one of the things that, that well, as we were talking to Haitians and asking them what was going on, they kept articulating that we don't need more reporting, which is what I was doing, was writing up reports. And they kept looking at me like, what good is this report? And I wasn't able to give them a good answer. And what they really said, what they said they needed was to prosecute the criminals. Uh, and they said, look, you know, the, the, the democracy's back. We've got the, you know, we have our president, but what we really need is justice. And the UN, that was too actually prosecuting the cases was too political for the UN. So, so we, we couldn't do that, even though most of the people, most of my colleagues felt that's what we needed to do. So I left that and I joined this uh, group of lawyers uh, called the Bureau des Avocats Internationaux, in English, the International Lawyers Office. And what we were trying to do was to prosecute cases. That was kind of our short-term to prosecute cases of political violence. But the long-term goal was to make the justice system accessible to the majority of Haitians who are poor. 
And we, we felt that, A, by getting the system to work, it could serve the poor. And traditionally, the, the justice system had been set up to whoever had the guns and the money. It's very corrupt, elitist system. But we felt we can move these cases through where the victims were poor people, the perpetrators were powerful, and we can show that it can work against powerful people. And that will create a constituency and you'll, you'll have the justice system that will move towards the justice system that Haitians deserve. Um, we had some success. So I was in Haiti for nine years. Um, we got one exemplary case through. It's called the Ravato Massacre case. Had some other smaller promising cases. But in the big picture, it was actually 10 years of or nine years of really impressive democratic development in Haiti. Haiti had its first um, changeover of power from one elected president to another. It had relatively regularly parliamentary elections. The justice system started working. Schools were built. Hospitals were built. The economy got better. All across the board, Haiti showed that democracy worked. But unfortunately, starting around 2000, um, the powerful countries of the world, led by my own country, the United States, decided they didn't like the economic choices that Haitians were making. They felt that the government was, was uh, playing too big a role in society. And this wasn't a question of the government nationalizing anything. It was not privatizing as quickly as, as the powers that be wanted it to. And it was insisting on spending too much money on education in a country where half of the kids of school age kids didn't go to school. It was spending too much money on, on public health in a country that had by far the worst public health outcomes in the hemisphere. And as the United States and other countries lost patience with, with Haiti's uh, government, we first put a development assistance embargo on Haiti. So the U.S. stopped giving any money to the Haitian government. We also kept other people from doing it, including the EU, including the Inter-American Development Bank, including the World Bank. And those sanctions worked. I mean, very much weakened the Haitian government. Uh, and then at the same time, in addition to the sanctions, there were soldiers, former soldiers, training across the border from Haiti and the Dominican Republic. And in 2004, they invaded and started taking over quite a bit of Haiti. Eventually, in, in, um, on February 29th of 2004, well, in, in about in, in, in six weeks of, of kind of invading Haiti, the, the rebels had taken over most of the territory, but had not taken over Port-au-Prince, the, the largest city. Um, and, and by most estimates, they, weren't, there was, they didn't have a current path to be able to do that militarily, uh, and especially because the Haitian police had kind of had, had withdrawn back to to um, Port-au-Prince to make the stand there. Uh, but what, what the U.S. did was, was force President Aristide onto a plane and then to exile. Um, and uh, President Aristide was sent first to the, uh, the Central African Republic on a plane that had come from Guantanamo Bay using a false flight plane, plan. It landed in Haiti. Uh, President Aristide was forced on board and then it went to went to the Central African Republic. Um, after I was actually called the, because he was, everybody, the, 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 the U.S. said, oh, that's where he wanted to go. And we knew that wasn't true. Um, I actually went to the Central African Republic and I was the first um, person from outside the country to, to see him in exile because I, I went there in part to break the story that he was not there 
Um, he was not there uh, on at his own will. After a week there, we finally got him uh, sprung from the Central African Republic, and he came back. He came back to the Caribbean. He wasn't allowed back to Haiti. The U.S. would never allow that. But he was uh, sent back. He was allowed to Jamaica, where he spent. I think it was about six weeks in Jamaica, and then and then he went to uh, to uh, South Africa, where he remained until 2011, when he came back to Haiti. Um, and you know, one of the things that was kind of interesting because I was involved in this time, and 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 Ronaldo was was talking about this. I think I think you were, and you know, it's hard to keep track of all the coup d'etats in Haiti. But I think when you're talking about 1994, I think you meant 2000, because you know there was a coup in from 91 to 94 against Aristide, and there's this other one from 2004 to 2006. And Caricom played a really important role in there. And, and especially Jamaica. Um, first, that was where that was a, they gave President Harris. Okay, I said nineteen ninety four. I was in um I was in high school. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, it was two thousand and four. The Aristide, and he was assassinated. He he was kidnapped. He was not assassinated. He's still okay. alive. Fortunately. Um, okay. Okay. So I need to correct my reports. Okay. Continue. Uh, and, and, you know, everybody was terrified he was going to be assassinated. I mean, he survived many assassination attempts, but fortunately, always survived. Uh, so he went to Jamaica. And when he got to Jamaica, the pressure put on Jamaica and other CARICOM countries was immense. I mean, I talked to people who talked about being called out of bed at one in the morning by, you know, by, by the U.S. Secretary of State yelling at them, telling them they had to get Aristide out of the region, that that was just not acceptable. That it wasn't acceptable that Jamaica made a sovereign decision to allow an elected president of a neighboring country to stay in their country for safety. I mean, that was that was sort of the craziness. And there was warning, there were threats of putting a travel warning on Jamaica and other countries, you know, that that rely to a large extent on tourism and that, that would be hurt by um by 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 a travel a travel warning and eventually it was sort of this compromise work president aristide was 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 uh, given uh, a welcome in south africa and he left jamaica but even for uh, for years after that there was there was um a caricom was the only well, for two years caricom was the only organization that had a principled stand towards Haiti, because the coup d'etat obviously is an interruption in Haiti's democracy. Um, and the OAS, which has a requirement that all of its member states be democratic, which they used to exclude Cuba, they used to try to, several times they've tried to vote out Venezuela, saying that Venezuela was not democratic. Here you had a country where the president was exiled. The OAS did not say anything about that being an interruption in the democratic order. It was only CARICOM, which has the exact same language as OAS on, on a democratic requirement. They stood up and they said, Haiti is suspended from us because we are an organization of democracies. And this is clearly an interruption in the democratic order. Um, CARICOM, again, came under immense pressure for doing that. Uh, but they also withstood that immense pressure, which is, you know, I think, and this has never really been written about, um, but I think it was an absolutely courageous decision and one that, you know, that has very few parallels of countries being able to, you know, to withstand the U.S. Uh, US pressure like that for two years.
And then the after two years, the uh, the, the, the coup d'etat was reversed. Uh, President Aristide wasn't allowed back, but there was elections were held for his successor, and you had a democratically elected successor. Um, when one, one thing I just kind of my 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 uh, path was when when the um, the coup d'etat happened. I'd been living in Haiti for nine years. I love living in Haiti. Um, I love the work I was doing, but. We, I made a determination that my place was no longer in Haiti, that it was back in the United States. Because if the United States and other powerful countries could, could wash away nine years of really successful democratic progress because we didn't like Haiti's economic policies, then not, no progress in Haiti would ever be sustainable. So I felt my, my mission was to come back to the U.S to bring Haitians' fight for sovereignty and democracy to the U.S. and other powerful countries, because that's where many decisions about Haitian democracy are made. And so that's what I've been doing the last now 19 years. Um, uh, you know, when you look at what's happening in Haiti, it's it's hard to say that we've been been very successful. Um, but I think that we there has been a lot of progress in terms of developing a constituency for democracy in Haiti. And I'll actually have one example of this. I and mean, I think that recently CARICOM was under immense pressure to, to lead an international intervention to Haiti that Haitians hated. Uh, and, and I think that CARICOM deserves credit for, for resisting that. Uh, what's, what's the latest with, um, I, and I know I was following that story and we recent, CARICOM recently had uh, a meeting um, but I don't remember where they had the meeting, but they recently had a meeting and I think CARICOM was on the, I mean, it, the, the intervention force in Haiti was on the table. And I think they decided that they weren't going to send an intervention force, but I think several countries are still mulling over that. Uh, that's correct. CARICOM said that, that, that you needed, a, they would not send, that any military intervention needed a broad consensus in Haitian society. Um, which clearly doesn't happen. And, and I think that that was a very courageous position. I mean, the U.S. was really pushing CARICOM. Justin Trudeau came to the meeting in Kingston um, exactly to, to apply pressure for that to happen. And, and the CARICOM countries, uh, you know, managed to, to resist that. Um, so, uh, which I think is, you know, a credit to them sticking to their, to their principles. Okay, great. Thank you so much. And now um, uh, that's, now I'm going to begin, but I know, you know you guys will get a chance to uh, ask Brian, Mr. Conkanen, any question. But before I do that, I have a question for you, which I did indicate that I was going to ask you uh, earlier. And I think um, the question is, um, so I when I looked at when I just for this class, I was I studied economics as well. So I was reading, looking at some data and I saw that in 2021. Uh, what, you know, Haiti is one. Haiti is the first black colony to get independence. And um, and we in this class, we have been questioning whether or not Haiti is truly independent because they turned around and pay um, France, bill, was it $24 or $94 billion to recognize their independence? Um, but the, which has held them down today, which we talked about how debt becomes a strategy, the strategy to continue to keep some people down. But um, when you look at, the GDP of Haiti in 2021, it was at what 20.94 billion 
Jamaica was about 14 billion, 15 billion, while in uh, in Bahamas it was about 11 billion. And I asked the question, um, but I thought that um, Haiti never had any GDP. Um, but of course they they have. So if they so they have a GDP in excess of 20 billion, they're about. But why is it that they have a GDP that's higher than Jamaica, but we thought that they were the poorest country? Now, I have the answer, but I would love to have you respond. Yeah, so I mean, I, th I think the main thing is it's spread much thinner. So Jamaica, isn't the population Jamaica like a little bit under 3 million people? 3 million, yes. Uh, so Haiti, it's over 12. And so you've got a little bit more money in Haiti total, but it's split, yes. spread over four times as many people. Um, and I think a second is that it's also in Haiti, it's not spread very evenly. And I from, I'm forgetting the numbers, but there, there are some spectacularly wealthy people in Haiti. Uh, but yes. but then there's not much of a middle class and everybody else is 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 largely poor. So even though, you know, of that $21 billion, and I don't know the numbers, but, uh, you know, a big chunk of that is owned by a few wealthy families and most Haitians don't get to share that. And I think, you know, going back to your, your point about Haiti being the first black country, I mean, that is why Haiti is so poor. So Haiti is by far the poorest country in the hemisphere. Um, yes. it's, you know, there's only a few countries worldwide that, that, that are, that have, if you take kind of GDP per capita, as well as living standards, um, there's only a few countries below Haiti on, on, on that. And it's really, it's sad that, it, that, 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 that's happening in the middle of our hemisphere. And, you know, the reason is, is that is exact, exactly because Haiti was the first country to be free. Um, they've been punished. I mean, they became free by winning a slave revolt against Napoleon, the most powerful emperor of his time, in a world completely run by slave-owning countries. And that they could not allow Haiti to succeed. If they had allowed Haiti to succeed, Jamaica would have been independent a lot more, a lot quicker. Um, you know, the whole idea of, of slavery was based on this, on this ideology of white supremacy. And if Haiti had done well, that would have completely um, undermined the, the ideology. And so, so there was, and this was, this isn't, you know, something that we're reading from the tea leaves. This was explicit. I mean, this was explicit in policy by the U.S. and European powers that they could not allow Haiti to be free because of what they called the contagion, the contagion of emancipation, the contagion of freedom would would spread to to other places, which would cost the slave owning countries money. I have so many questions, but I know the students want to get into it because um, question that stems from that question, which. But outside, but I, in terms of the unevenness in Haiti, there, I think you said over fifty percent of the population poor, and um, and so you talk about where is the G, when you look at the GDP, where is all that money? So they have twenty point something bill, twenty one billion dollars in GDP, and then the question I I will ask next is the PH is it the PHTK that is the ruling party in Haiti? Yes, and um, and what are they are they in support of the? of the prime minister who is has been installed not by the people of Haiti, but the prime minister now is installed by a group of countries, correct? Correct. And let me actually, let me correct you. I mean, it's, it's actually kind yes. of a question. Is the PHTK in power? I mean, in a sense, nobody's in power in the traditional sense that you have, you know, a prime minister that's that was elected by the parliament. 
because Katie doesn't have a parliament. Katie literally does not have one single elected official in office. Um, parliament ended the last nine senators. Um, their seats became empty in, in January. But two years before that, most of the rest of parliament seats became empty. So you really haven't had had a functioning parliament in, in, in three years now, a, a parliament that could take a vote. Um, and so the, the ministers and the prime minister are all just you know chosen through some extra constitutional process. The way that, but they are all people who were who came through the PHTK movement, and that's how they 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 got there. Um, the current prime minister Ariel Henry was appointed by a group of countries called the Core Group. That includes it's led by the United States. It includes several European countries, the EU, the OAS. I'm not, I don't think it's actually I can't remember if it has any Caribbean countries. Um, but the and and they were the ones who just literally issued a statement saying Ariel Henry gets to be prime minister. They weren't approving any Haitian process. Henri was nominated by by President Moise, uh, who the day before President Moise was assassinated, but he was never installed and never confirmed or went through any process. Uh, and and what got him from this stage of being nominated by a deceased president to actually holding the reins of power was the core group recognizing that he was now in charge. And actually, and there is a story in the, the in the legal news and commentary talking talking about reporting the rule of law in crisis that on March 8th, 2023, that looks at the failure of the organization of American states to apply the Inter-American Democratic Charter in Haiti. So I was reading that article today, it says the Organization of American States, the OAS, was presented with a crucial opportunity to reaffirm its commitment to democracy last month as its permanent council turned its attention towards Haiti. The nation's current crisis is one that is directly connected to the actions taken by members of its ruling class, the PHTK, which for the past decade had systematically undermined the nation's democratic institutions to increase its own power. And these actions have culminated in one of Haiti's worst ever periods of instability. So I think that's one of the reasons why I ask about the PHTK so um, affiliated with a ruling a ruling class. So I the question would so are so are there some members in Haiti who are in support of this president and this this sorry this prime minister and what's going on? Um, yes, sure. The PHTK party and the way that they have they have ruled. So the party isn't really ideological. I mean, I okay, you know, okay. most people would place them towards the the right side of the of the political spectrum. But in practice, I mean, they're not passing legislation. And, and so they're, they're not, in many ways, they're not ideological in a traditional sense. The, the unifying, and, and if you look at some of the people that are part of it, they actually come from far left, far right, centrist, a whole range of parties. The, the unifying, you know, if you do have an ideology, it's an ideology of plunder. Um, you know, what unifies PHTK is, is a common commitment of its leaders to steal money from the treasury and, and, and get it to the leaders and to a political machine. That's how it has, it has you know, it has, yes. PHTK, it's completely infiltrated the civil service, you know, all yes. civil service jobs for, for almost 10 years now have been, mm. have had a political test to them. And so what happens is money gets taken from, you know, legitimate public um public activities 
and and it gets um, it gets um, diverted to the PHTK and its political machine. Great. Thank you so much. I have several questions I will not take over. I'm going to now allow the students to do you what questions do you guys have? And I will now invite you guys to ask questions of Mr. Brian. Any question for Brian? Um, anyone? All right, good night, sir, and welcome to our servant thought class. We are happy to have you, and I hope we will learn a lot from you tonight. All right, so we know that AT got its independence in 1804 from the French, right? But what happened after what happened after AT gained their independence? Yeah, that's a great question, Chantel, and thanks for the thanks for the welcome. So when Haiti got independence, it was an independent country run by by self-emancipated slaves in a world run by slave owners. And so what happened was powers that be prevented it from being successful. Not a single country would recognize Haiti, not a single country. And it's a, you know, it's obviously a great shame for my own country, the United States, which 25 years early, earlier had declared its independence and talked about all men are become are, are, are created equal. And, and, and was saw itself as this as this beacon of democracy, especially in the Western Hemisphere. But of course, they meant by all men, they didn't mean what they, they meant all white men. And and so the U.S. instead of rec, instead of embracing the second independent country in the hemisphere, it could not let that work because we had too many slaves. Um, and so so the U.S. would not recognize Haiti. The France, what France did, and so the, the, this, this independence debt that Ronaldo was mentioning, the way that came about was France said Haiti declared its independence and you know beat Napoleon the old-fashioned way in, in, in battle. Um, but hate, France said, well, we don't recognize your independence. We still own you, individuals as well as the country, and we're going to come back and, and reinstitute slavery. And um, they. They 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 made they said that the, after negotiating they said well if you pay us off we won't and, and if you pay our our plantation owners for what they lost which includes their land which was expropriated but also include their losses of their slaves so France was telling Haitian people after you won your freedom through battle through blood through great sacrifice. We're going to make you pay for it financially as well. Haiti first resisted, uh, and it resisted for close to 20 years. But in the end, Haiti felt it had no choice. It was, it was, Haiti was, um, no one would recognize the country. No one would give it loans. No one would give it any kind of help. And the French sent a squadron of warships off of Port-au-Prince Harbor, the capital, and were threatened to you know, to, to blow the, the, the capital up unless, and, and to come in and reinstitute slavery unless Haiti agreed to pay them off. So Haiti, Haiti's government felt it had no choice but to, um, but to sign on the dotted line. And it was this horrible contract that, that uh, Haiti didn't finish paying off that debt until the 1940s. And what happened between 1823, when they, saw, they started paying it off, in the 1940s was that Haiti put all of its available money towards paying off the debt rather than 
investing in education, in infrastructure, in industrialization, in anything else. They had to put all their money into paying off that debt. So Haiti really missed a cent more than a century of, of economic and social development as a result of that debt, and which is exactly what the debt was supposed to do. I mean, it was the whole point was to not give Haiti a chance to become a prosperous example of what African people could do. You know, as you mentioned that, you see what happened. Has there been any kind of recognition by the international community, such as um, the post-industrial countries, um, as it relates to what happened in 1804 in terms of not recognizing Haiti's independence? Have there been any kind of response from the international community? So in 2004, um, 2004, Haiti's Independence Day is January 1st. And uh, I got to Haiti in 1995. And the whole time from 1995 on, Haitians kept saying, are you going to be here for January 1, 2004? You know, the bicentennial of Haiti's independence. They felt that was a huge deal for them. But they just felt it was such an important date of the world. This was the beginning of emancipation. This mm. was you know, beginning, really the beginning of the human rights movement. And, and Haitians were so excited for, you know, at least a decade that I saw before that, but before that, of this is going to be a huge commemoration of freedom for the world. Yes. yes. When that date happened, the only heads of state who came were the, um, the I think it's the prime minister of the Bahamas. I think he's a, kind of counted as a head of state and uh, the president of South Africa. No other heads of state came because the United States and France told them they couldn't and, you know, gave whatever carrots and sticks they needed to make sure that the world boycotted the celebration of of of, of freedom again they don't they, they they don't want this example of you know of independence to 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 happen and shortly thereafter was the coup d'etat one of the reasons so and getting back to Chantel's question sorry for making this a little bit of a of a long answer to it um the the President Aristide in 2003 made a claim for um, the restitution of the debt that, that Haiti had, had to pay France. And the way he calculated it, it was $21 billion, as Ronaldo had mentioned. There's other you know, different ways of calculating it that go up into $100 billion and more, uh, which I think, you know, yes. there, there's lots of people who are working on that to try to quantify that more exactly now and i think in the next year or so we're gonna have some good numbers but it's you know it's a lot of money because it was a lot of money. Uh, and when haiti asked for you know the small end the 21 billion france was france helped the u.s overthrow the government and just about a year ago uh, the new york times issued a um, did a report on this and they actually got the french ambassador to admit that yes we overthrew Aristide to stop him from make from claiming justice for for the independence set. Wow, this is breaking news. This is information that many people are not aware of. Um, and in terms of, and you did some work in, 1990, in 1994 with Aristide. And, um, and uh, the information that many of us, that was coming out of Haiti was that, you know, yes, Aristide was kidnapped, but that also there was a dysfunction in Haiti and that they are responsible for the dysfunction and Aristide was, um, had something to do with the dysfunction. 
and many of them uh, characterize him as a mouthpiece of the West. But then here you are saying that you are working with Mr. Jean Bertrand Aristide on a case that that allows the Haitian to recoup money from France. But would is it wouldn't that have? And you're saying that that would have had implications in the world. And and he and you are saying that um, and that led to him being kidnapped. Yeah, and you know, before I answer that, I want to want to respond to um, Sean had put something in the chat about about yes. the independence that wasn't a negotiation; it was a stick-up. I was trying to be cute on the words. I totally agree that Sean is more accurate than I am. I will right. that for the record. Go ahead, sorry. But yeah, so 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 you know, Aristide, the the, 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 the powerful countries, um, you know, the, and it's important to know that these are all countries that got their power as a result of the slave trade. And, you know, so when you talk about, you know, people talk about the international community with respect to Haiti, the ones who yeah. have the power are the US, France, and Britain, all countries, and, you know, to a lesser extent, Spain, all countries that made their money through slavery. If you look at who the, the UN, who really runs the UN is the Security Council. And, and the, you know, there's a Security Council, there's members who are there for, who have two-year terms, but the real power of the Security Council is the five members who have, five permanent members who all have a veto. And those are Russia, China, and three countries that made their money through the slave trade. So 60% of the, 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 the permanent members of the Security Council, they got their seats through slavery. And, you know, and that's something that people don't talk enough about. And, yeah. you know, unfortunately, it's still true because they're still, and Haiti's a classic example, they, they are still practicing the exact same policies of exploiting countries that are predominantly Black and not allowing predominantly Black countries to be fully sovereign. Getting back to your point, Ronaldo, about is Haiti independent? You know, that's a good question. And, you know, it's certainly not completely independent. It, and but, you know, and it's the same thing of Jamaica. It's the same thing for any country in, in the hemisphere. I mean, it's unfortunately we have and I'll point I'll look in the mirror. My country systematically limits the autonomy and sovereignty of, of every country in, in, the, in, the, in the Americas. Wow. 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 Um, Sean, you are busy talking in the group. Um, what, um, Sean, are you there, Sean? 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 Sean, I, probably we lost him. He said, I beg to differ. What's, that's what, that wasn't negotiation. That was a stick up. And you mentioned that already. Superpowers with big guns versus stick and stones. Quite. And he said, as it stands now, that's the most accurate calculation. Okay, great, great. He says he's here. Um, that's fine. Uh, but thank you. Any more question? Because there, there's much more questions surrounding this issue regarding um, this case. You just said that as it relates to what you are doing with uh, Mr. And how is Mr. Aristide doing now? You, I, I didn't realize you were still alive. How is Mr. John Bertrand Aristide? Where is he now? So he came back. So he was kept in exile until from 2004 to 2011. So seven years. Um, he's been back since 2011, but he lives a really limited existence. I mean, he almost never leaves his compound. He's got, you know, kind of a house and an office and, 
and a little bit of property where he can walk around. But he almost never leaves. I mean, literally, there was a time I visited. Uh, he, he runs a law school, and 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 I've been I've been helping him build that. Um, and uh, it was one time a few years ago where I I. I I visited him and he had not left the compound at all in a year. Um, but he's and, still kidnapped right now. He's, it seems like it's, I'm sorry, but I'm being yeah, facetious. He has very limited autonomy. I mean, he wants to be back in Haiti because that's where, you know, that's his home and that's where he's still able to, to do his work. And he's, and he's focusing on building this university, which is actually, it's been a miracle. I mean, he built it from, from nothing um, literally, you know, 2011. So in 12 years, it was built from nothing to now there's a medical school, there's there's a law school, there's a nursing school, I think there's an economic school, they're building a hospital, a teaching hospital. So he's doing, you know, amazing work, but he he's keeping a very low profile out of self-preservation. Great. Um, okay, I'll, I'll follow up with that. If, if no one has that question about regarding the case, in terms of what's going on with the case now, because that's breaking news as well. But first, Richard, um, Richard is one of our professors, members of the faculty here at the Jamaica Theological Seminary, one of the head of the department. Richard, you have a question for Mr. Brian. Welcome, sir. Hi, Ronaldo. Yes, Rev. Reverend Richard. Sorry about that. Welcome to the class, sir. Hi, my brother. How, how you, um, can you hear me? We you loud and clear. Uh, great. Hi, Brian. Hi, Richard. Nice to meet you. Same here, man. Listen. My question was triggered based on what you just said in light of the geopolitical realities of our region and the role that the United States play in terms of its influence upon the region. So in light of that reality, what, how, how do you think CARICOM can treat with the realities now in Haiti in light of that understanding of its relationship with the superpowers, you know? And CARICOM historically has dealt with Haiti from a place of rhetoric and, you know, we do what we can in helping out um, our neighbor, but it is still under the guise of the um, of the, the geopolitical realities um, of the CARICOM's relationship with the United States. So, you know, in light of what's going on there now, how how can CARICOM respond in light of its its own reality and relationship with the U.S.? Very good question. Yeah, that's an excellent question, Richard. Yes, and, yes, yes. You know, I'm probably not very well poised to answer it. Uh, just because, you know, I don't have a good understanding of, of where the line, lines are drawn that CARICOM can or cannot cross. Uh, you know, but what I would say is that, that, that you know, I think it's, I, I, I would not question that every CARICOM government wants to help Haiti. And I think, you know, where the differences are, are, you know, as you set up, what, how much are they willing to, what kind of a cost are they willing to pay? In terms of angering my country, um, in order to in order to do that, I would you know I, I think that you know, I think it was interesting. So that that the, the communique at the end of the CARICOM meeting, it clearly reflected those political realities. It didn't say you know no way we're not going to send troops and right. 
no way do we not agree with it. So right now there's this kind of trumped up unconstitutional accord that the U.S. is saying is the way forward in Haiti. And what CARICOM, CARICOM didn't say, you know, it's a trumped up, completely unconstitutional accord. They said, mm. we think the accord needs to have broader support in Haitian society, you know, knowing it's not going to. Um, and but not also not being able to say, the, you know, the truth. And the same thing about military intervention. I mean, I think it said, oh, there needs to be a broader consensus before we can consider that. And again, knowing there's not going to be a broader consensus in Haiti. Um, so, you know, it's, it's obviously being using diplomatic language. Um, mm. And that's the only thing I would say to CARICOM, you know, in terms of, um, you know, realizing that it's my country. So country I'm paying taxes to that is the real problem is that, you know, that CARICOM just needs to keep in mind that they're that they're sticking to their principles is probably the best thing they can do for Haiti. You know, that, 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 that in terms of things like, you know, development assistance, um, you know, material goods, I mean, of course that's welcome, but, you know, of course, CARICOM countries, you know, have limited resources and that, that those, that kind of material help is gonna help individuals but it's not going to have a systemic effect, and that what does has the systemic effect is CARICOM sticking to its principles, and that was clearly, you know, the coup d'état in Haiti lasted about two years, and which is pretty short, and it would have been, I'm fairly confident, it would have been longer without CARICOM. That CARICOM really played a vital role in getting mm -hmm. democracy back on track, and it's crazy, you know, CARICOM doesn't get credit for it. The U.S. isn't going to give CARICOM credit. CARICOM doesn't want to take credit because then they'll get invaded. You know, so it's, so it's, you know, so it's, it's, it's tricky where CARICOM gets no credit for doing, you know, for doing these right, doing these, these courageous things. Um, mm -hmm. But it's sort of, you know, and Haiti needs it to. Does that, does that make sense as an answer? Yeah, yeah, it, it sure does, Brad. Thanks, man. Thanks. Thanks, man. And you know, thank you so much for the for that. And um, I, Chantel, go, Chantel, I see your hand. Yes, go ahead. Um, okay, sir. All right. So normally, when not um when it comes to natural disaster, it is normally hit with um with the worst cases, right? What resources um do it is do it have, and what um, opportunity are there to reinvent it? Yeah, that's a really good question. And you know, after. So after the, the earthquake in 2010, uh, everybody kept talking about build Haiti back better. And, but what happened was they didn't change the systems of this kind of um, gross inequality of not, and, and, and everybody came in, when, when the earthquake happened, there were, there were, I went to this big meeting in New York at the UN. And it was, everybody said, yes, we've treated Haiti wrong. We haven't been empowering the people. We've only been dealing with elites. We haven't let Haitians make their own decisions. Um, and we've been, you know, we, we haven't done grassroots. We haven't facilitated kind of grassroots bottom-up development that, you know, that would be sustainable. They recognized all of the mistakes. Then they went out and went down the exact same pathways that they'd always done. So they, you know, they, they, there was this rhetorical recognition of past mistakes, but then they just went right back in and, and made the past mistakes again. Um, and, you know, I think to me, the only way that that's ever going to change is that you get a government in Haiti 
that's democratic and that can insist that the international community do better, which is exactly what the Aristide administration did, which is exactly why it was kicked out. And you know, which brings me to the bigger picture. And that's kind of one of the purposes of, of IJDH is that is that we're working for democracy to come back to Haiti. But mm-hmm. and and but once that happens, that's not the end of the battle. Then we have to make sure that that democracy is respected. And and that that's again, I think something that you know the whole world needs to do that that I think you know to help to help Haiti out. The other thing that's that that and I think this is actually a question you raised. It is related to a question you raised earlier, Chantal. Yes, um, sir. Getting back to sort of the restitution of Haiti's debt, one of the things that that we are starting to have conversations with is is talking about how Haiti's restitution claim, which is a pretty strong legal claim, fits into the broader um, fight for for um, reparations for all the harm um, that that was done by by slavery and, and the slave trade. And we think that there's a lot of really important connections. I think that that Haiti has has some Haiti's claim has some legal advantages that as a result of it, you know, you sort of have this debt and that gives some advantages if you're going to have a legal process. And we think that, you know, if Haiti, if Haiti's restitution claim advances, that will open the door to a much broader claim for, you know, for everybody who was, or the descendants of everybody who was, who, who was hurt by the slave trade. And, and so we've been talking with people and we're at the kind of preliminary stages about ways of, hey, how do we get Haiti more into the, the broader reparations movement so Haiti can help the broader reparations movement by opening the door and the broader reparations movement can help Haiti by helping get its democracy back because Haiti's not going to be able to make a rep- restitution claim unless it has a democratic government that is independent from the U.S. and France. Um, I have a, I know several people have questions. Um, I see Alicia, I see Deloy. And, um, and you know, I was looking at, I, I want to talk, I really want to really talk to you some more about this case that started in 1994, because when Aristide was kidnapped, we thought that that was the end of the case. But obviously, they're still pursuing the case. You guys, you are still, IJDH is still, um, is still working around this issue. And you said that um, probably a year from now, there will be some kind of determination. But I want to know in terms of what is the timeline? How su- what successes do you think you're going to, how successful you guys think you will, how successful will you be, do you think you will be as it relates to, to the legal claim? What are some of the uphill battles or the challenges you will face? Are you nervous that this, what happened in 1994 can resurface again? And um, those are some, I really want to ask that question. And the last question, and then I'll have you guys answer. I mean, I have another student ask the question is, the IGDH is I've a got US- question as well. Huh? Yeah, go ahead. But wait, before you, before I, this is important. Um, the IGDH, the IJDH in Haiti is a US-based human rights nonprofit organization established in 2004. It is a it is a partnership of human rights advocates in Haiti and the US dedicated to tackling the root causes of injustice that impacts human rights in Haiti. So this is the question. That is the root cause. So my question is. What do you see, um, what does the IJDH see as the root causes of injustice that has impacted basic human rights in Haiti 
And you said that, you know, you've been having some problems. I think you alluded to that already, but um, just to be more targeted in this response, um, what has been the, what has affected the, the IGDH's ability to become more successful in terms of guaranteeing those basic rights and so on? So that's the question. Yeah, that's a good question. And in terms of what, what are the, 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 the root causes, I mean, part of it is bad governance by, mm-hmm. by Haitian leaders. I mean, the current government is is supporting gangs. It's you know stealing billions of dollars from from the government. It is uh, arresting and torturing protesters. Um, it's doing you know killing journalists. It's doing a lot of things that are that are creating a human rights issue. Um, but there's on the bigger picture. So there's certainly and that that has happened in many many times throughout Haiti's history, and we need to address. And our colleagues at at the Bureau des Avocats, you know, in Haiti, they are addressing the Haiti side of things. Um, okay. But from IJDH's perspective, you can't talk about just what's happening, decisions made in Haiti, because there are decisions made outside of Haiti that have a huge impact on, on, on human rights in Haiti. And that includes the whole independence debt, for which for over a century prevented Haitian government, Haiti's government from, from being successful. It includes the the you know the 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 UN peacekeeping mission that was there from 2004 to 2017 that unleashed a cholera epidemic in Haiti was involved in in persistent um, sexual exploitation and abuse mm-hmm. and did not leave the country better off than when it started. It includes international support for for the coup d'état in 2004. And so you know all of these things. I mean, if you want to put it into a you know, pocket. Yes. It's it's you know it's a history of white supremacist treatment of Haiti by slave owning countries and former slave owning countries, and that's kind of what we are you know what we are are trying to get at. Um, and the restitution claim is obviously part of that. The the prospects for that are yes. Right now, the the main problem is there's nobody to make the claim. You need a sovereign Haitian government to. To make that claim, so when President Aristide was was overthrown, you know, within a week, and it was really really quick. One of the first pronouncements that that the uh, illegal prime minister made was, "Oh yeah, we're not going to do that restitution thing. We don't believe in that." That was his job. And ever since, you know, since then, and we're now getting you know close to twenty years, you've never had a Haitian president who most of them were were appointed by by the 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 international community. One of them, uh, President Preval, was elected, but he was kept weak enough, and there was enough of this example of what had happened to Aristide that he wasn't going to make that. So what you really need is you need a, an independent, sovereign democracy in Haiti that's going to make that claim. The second issue, you know, the claim is strong in the sense that that the facts are pretty clear or pretty easily to establish, and it's you know, I'm fairly confident that if we had a trial, that we'd be able to establish that France has the legal liability for it. The problem is right now is getting a place to have the trial. So, you know, the international legal system was set up by former slave owning countries, and it was not set up in a way that allowed countries like Haiti and Jamaica to make claims against them. And so right now, the main problem is jurisdiction. Where could we get, where could Haiti get its day in court? The closest thing, what Haiti was looking to before 
was the International Court of Justice. And the way, without getting into too many weeds, the International Court of Justice has, has um, compulsory jurisdiction over some matters. And if those matters come in, you know, the country has to show up if you're a party to the court. But there's also, I think they call it voluntary jurisdiction. And in the case of Haiti suing France for, for, um, for the restitution, it, it, France had voluntary jurisdiction. So it, it could have said, no, we're not going to accept the court's jurisdiction on this. So, you know, as a technical matter, it could have weaseled out, but it decided that weaseling out was too dangerous to its reputation so that it would be easier just to overthrow Haiti's government. Um, and so, you know, in the end, I mean, I'm fairly confident we could get, if we could get into court, then we could, the claim could prevail. But the issue uh -huh. is it's hard to get into court and even more important, the, U, the international community has prevented a government in Haiti that would make that claim. So, you know, our kind of steps are get democracy back in Haiti, make the presentation, make, make the claim and embarrass France into, you know, into not weaseling out of jurisdiction. Right. Thank you so much. Question, I mean, Ms. Campbell, I have you have a question. question. Yes, please. Yes, yes. Ms. Campbell, go ahead. And then right. Alicia and then Jaloy. Um, I mean, Haiti is on my heart, yes, sir. As yeah. a matter of fact, um, I get very upset about the situation. Um, and I, 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 what upsets me, part of what upsets me is lack of information, lack um about Haiti, where I am. Um, so, so you're not hearing about Haiti, right? And, and, and so my question to you now has to do with what do you think is the, the role of the diaspora in all this? Because there is a Haitian diaspora in Jamaica, right? You have persons of Haitian descent in Jamaica, you have persons of Haitian, Haitian descent all over the world. What role can they play? Because I'm, I'm thinking that the, the governments of the world aren't doing much, right? But the governments of the role of the world have constituents. They, they, they are supposed to be serving their people. So if, if the people have compassion towards Haiti, then, and, and, and project that onto the governments, um, then that could have some effect. I don't know what you think about it. Let me hear your perspective on the matter. Thank you so much, Ms. Campbell. Ms. Campbell is the head, she's my boss, the head of the department, Humanities. Oh, Brian, okay. yes. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I <laughs> quick answers, I agree with you. Uh, that was very well said. I think that, that, you know, that what we need is people who care about Haiti need to project that to their governments to get them to act. And that's kind of the whole theory of, theory of what, IJDH 
is here for, especially in the United States. I mean, I think that, you know, there's, so I've been doing this in the U.S. now for almost 20 years. There have been governments I voted for, governments I didn't vote for, but regardless of, neither of them is done particularly well by Haiti. And in part, it's, you know, there's interests that are pushing it to do things that are not, that are not uh, moving towards democracy and liberation for Haiti. And there's also people who don't care or don't have enough information or don't, um, or don't care, don't have enough information. So, so our premise is that we can get better U.S. policies by getting people informed and engaged. I completely agree. I've been hearing this for 20 years that people don't know what's going on in Haiti. And that's because, I mean, that is, you know, and it, 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 it's especially hard when I hear it from someone like you, who's, you know, well-informed and in touch. And, um, and you know, that that's not an accident. The, the information has been, is, is kept from you because they don't want people like you to right. engage well, on Haiti. Well, I, I have somebody who, um, a friend who is a missionary in Haiti. So I was aware, yeah. I was aware of what was happening, right? And I'm like, this is news, okay? Why, why is it that I'm hearing it from a friend? Only why am I not hearing it as a big thing on the news that it upset me, sir? Um, That is true. I agree. I agree. And and so I'm I'm, one of the the reasons I raised the issue has to do with stereotyping, right? It's easy for people to stereotype Haitians, okay? Mm. And therefore, you need. You're not going to, to get that addressed to governments, right? We, it, it has to be addressed to, in a sense, Haitians themselves. So Haitians who are part of communities. Yes. Um, getting people to understand that their perception of Haiti is not what um, it should be. You know, that sort of thing. Sorry to... Monopolize this thing. No, that's very no. well said. And and you know, and I'll, I'll add, you know, getting back to your point about um, about the diaspora. Um, you know, one of the things we've been doing and is is really helping the diaspora, the Asian diaspora in the United States, have its voice heard. And that's been a struggle. You know, for the same reasons of white supremacy that this policy is there. You know, Haitians in the United States have been traditionally discriminated against. It's harder for them to get their voices heard. But as the as the community gets bigger and you have the children and the grandchildren of the people who have come, who are, you know, their parents make great sacrifices. So they're able to get to get, uh, you know, higher education. They're able to have more economic power. They're able to make more influence. They really have been having a pretty good impact on improving U.S. policy. We're obviously not it hasn't been improved to an acceptable rate, but the diaspora community is really making an important contribution on making that happen. And I think Jamaica, I mean, I have I have a, a friend in Jamaica, uh, her name is Mirtha Desilme, and I know she's been doing, I, you know, I know she does a lot of networking around Haiti, trying to get the word out and trying to engage with civil society actors about, you know, about what's going on. But, you know, it is hard. And especially when, you know, when people in Jamaica, like people in the United States, are are having to 
um, having to struggle across so many fronts, you know, it's, it's hard to get the message across. But that's one of the things that we try to do. I mean, we try to write. Um, my colleague, Mario Joseph, wrote a, um, a letter to the CARICOM heads of state that, you know, he, he saw this as a letter to try to, you know, to, 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 to try to convince CARICOM leadership, but also we hope that it would get, get out to the general public to help inform the general public about what was going on. Um, and so our website, I'll, I'll put a plug in for our website, which is yes, w- yes, www.ijdh.org. We try to have good information up about Haiti. You know, Ronaldo is, is, is we try to put stuff up on social media. I know Ronaldo's yes. been doing it, you know, hosting me on, on the, on the podcast. And I hope you, hope you, I'm happy to talk about other people who can talk about Haiti to get them on the podcast. Um, yes. yes. I think yes. we all can play a part in spreading the word. And that is why I've been encouraging people, say, for example, I said for this class, the last class, we're going to do a course on uh, on podcasting. I said um, podcasting is citizenship journalism. That's the new journalism now, citizenship journalism. But, um, and, you know, I, 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 I you know, Miss Campbell said something that's quite powerful. I identify with what Miss Campbell is saying because I said to people, even there's a young man that lives across the street from me, he's Haitian. I didn't even know that. And I said, I've been writing about Haiti. And then I interviewed somebody, but not many persons know about what's going on in Haiti. The president of JTS, Jamim Noelis. I mean, he was a pre- he's from Haiti. And let, but I said to people, I did not know what, a, you know, and Miss Campbell talks about stigma. And there were so. When I grew up in Jamaica in the, in the 2000s, I'm telling you, there some Jamaicans had some stigmas. They're even here in the U.S., you know, many Jamaicans, they don't want to, people to know that, oh, dude, I am not Haitian, as if there is competition between Haiti and Jamaica, you know? And, or some people say, I don't want them in my country. And then you were told that, oh, they destroyed their country. The usual storyline that is, that fought, the, the usual narrative that follows the storyline of why people aren't at certain levels. But... I completely agree with Ms. Campbell. Um, the storylines are not, people are not getting the information. Say, for example, what IRST did. I only learned about it when I met you, Mr. When I met you, um, Brian. That's when we, I first learned about this whole thing with what IRST was trying to do in terms of the restitution claim from France. Okay, and what happened in 1804. And, I, and they turned around... I, we weren't provided with info. We, I did not know anything about this. And I, if I ask the students, they're going to have the same answer. No, that story was was suppressed. I mean, all the coverage on Haiti didn't mention that. And it just mentioned that, you know, that the allegations that were totally unfounded, that Aristide was a thug or stealing money or other things, not that he was asking for, for justice because they didn't want people like you to hear it because they were afraid yes. you could do something about it. Um, and just so you know, guys, um, this particular, we will, I mean, I reached out to Mr. Brian about doing a show on a regular basis about Haiti, because trust me, a lot of people are still not aware of what's going on in Haiti. Now, I'm going to get to those three questions, Elise, Jaloy, and Mary, and then I will raise another issue, which is very important. But I think that there is a petition that I signed today. I just went on IJDH website, and I saw that there was a, t- a petition um, advocating for Haiti. I read it and I signed it and I sent it back to the editor and I also shared it with the world on Twitter, Facebook and all my channels and feeds and I will be doing that. So that's so that's what we're doing to get the word out there and bringing Mr. Brian to the class to, 
to let you guys know what's going on in Haiti, what we can do about it, and so on and so forth. But Alicia, you have a question. Go ahead. Alicia, your, your mic is on mute. Yes. Oh, good night. Sorry about that. Yes, good please. night, Mr. Brian and colleagues. Good night. Okay, I have a lot of questions. Uh, Alicia, Alicia, you're breaking up is an extremely poor are you hearing me i'm hearing you now but you are breaking up you're hello okay now. now it's good you're are good you, now are you hearing me yes yes we alicia okay, okay so, so we're gonna have to mute you write your question yeah, Alicia, if you put your your question in the chat, I'll 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 just look for it. I think she I think she maybe her signal got cut. I'm not seeing her. Yes, she's having some. Okay, so we probably will get Alicia. Right, we're having problems hearing you. So um, write your question in the chat until we can establish connection. So let's go to um Jaloy and then Mary. I haven't heard from her niece. I got I off. Are you hearing me now? Hello. Are you hearing what? me now? Yeah, but you're still kind of having some static. Write your question in the chat, and we will get okay. Okay. Um, but uh, Jaloy, go ahead. So good night, colleagues. Good night, Mr. Brian. Good night, um, my lecturer, Mr. McKenzie. My first um, time seeing you. <laughs> yes, this is you're the face of Jaloy, right? All right. Okay. Welcome to the class. Yes. What's your question? <laughs> Welcome, sir. I Sir, yes. I am a huge, huge sport fan. And mm, okay. um, <laughs> yes, I am a huge sport fan. And I would appreciate it so much if I hear Mr. Brian say he, he is as well. So <laughs> my, my question to you is, um, seeing that AT has been hit with a lot of misfortunes over the years, but something good has happened in the country of AT, and that is, the 80 national women's football team have qualified for their first ever FIFA World Cup. I want to ask, oh, oh, what is life like? What is life like after that historic feat, the qualification? And oh, as how has it transformed the lives of, of the Asian people since? And yeah, I'd like to know that. Yeah, that's a good question. So I haven't been to Haiti. I'm, I'm you know, I live in the United States and and I haven't, I wasn't in Haiti when it happened. I haven't been there since. Um, so it's a little bit hard to tell, but certainly from people I've talked to, everybody was really excited about it. And, and it was, a, you know, one of the things that I was grateful for, I mean, it, it was obviously an amazing accomplishment yeah. that a country like Haiti could, could pull that off. Um, but it was also, you know, to me, it was just, it was just so nice for Haitians to have something that they could celebrate. Um, and, um, you know, I don't, I'm not sure it made kind of long-term changes other than giving, you know, people who really needed um, a reason to be happy about something, a reason. Um, you know, the, the, the most of the players are not able to actually live in Haiti. They can't train in Haiti. It's just too dangerous. And, you know, they can't train at the level you need to, to do what they're doing. 
um, in Haiti, which is, you know, which is sad, but it's obviously a huge source of, of national pride and, and, and happiness for, you know, for, for many of the, you know, and Haiti, people in Haiti, it's a huge sports nation. I mean, they really love soccer or football, I should say, sorry. Yeah. Uh, so it's, you know, it's, it's a big deal there. Also note, Ronaldo, uh, the point of order, also note, I just saw in the chat that Sean had a couple of questions that he put on. Yes, Sean and Alicia. Yes. Um, first, I have two questions. Who do you believe are responsible for the high gun trafficking and the social realities giving the financial position? And are some of the reports now exaggerated to dissuade help? Those are the questions. I know I, you got you posted something about gun trafficking, I think, yesterday. But um, would you like to how do, can you respond to that? Sure. In terms of who's responsible for the gun trafficking. Um, so. Gangs in Haiti, there are long-term causes and short-term causes. The long-term causes, and you know, I think that, that Jamaica and United States struggle with this, in anywhere that the government is not able to provide basic government services, you know, including, including security, but also hospitals, economic development, things like that. It's 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 almost inevitable that you're going to have gangs that are that are that are going to develop to fill the void. And that has certainly been happening um, since, you know, at least since 1986 in the fall of Duvalier, when, you know, Duvalier, because he was a dictator, was able to to keep the gangs at a lower level. But, you know, that's, a, you know, when you get to a, to a transition to a democracy where, you know, where the government is not able to provide basic government services, it's inevitable you're going to have some gang problem. Some governments have done better than others at at uh, reining the problem in. And the current, the PHTK government, which has been in the last ten years, they've been the worst in terms of in terms of reining the problem in. They've actually supported the gangs. Um, there's it's widely believed in Haiti that the government has is giving gangs um, money and guns. There's it's been pretty well established that that the government has collaborated with gangs on attacks against opposition areas. So there's been these areas that the government didn't expect would vote for it if there was an election. So the government has worked with gangs to go in there for the, to let the gangs take over those neighborhoods. So if there are elections, the, uh, the government can control the, the vote there. Uh, and then in just the general corruption and the politicization of the whole system has limited the ability of the police and everybody else to you know, to serve as a deterrent to, to, to the gangs. Um, and so I think that's the sort of how the gangs have, have, have were created in response to Sean's question about how the guns got there. You know, obviously if you have gangs, you're going to get, you know, the, you're, that's creating the demand for guns and it's creating through the crime, they're creating the ability to buy them. Um, where the guns, how they actually get to Haiti, because Haiti's not producing any guns, they're largely getting to Haiti from the United States. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a, there's, there's, some of them are kind of sent through legal channels. There's guns that are going to the police, to security companies. No one knows for sure, but there's some expectation that some of those are being diverted to, to, to gangs. But it, it seems that the largest um, share of guns coming into Haiti are, are being smuggled. Um, and that they're, you know, so there's a lot of, 
We're trying to apply pressure on both on the U.S. end to try to inspect um, the outgoing freight to Haiti better. There's been a lot of pressure on the being put on the Haitian government to do a better job. Um, unfortunately, that's actually kind of a difficult thing to do. You know, the U.S. gun laws, as you may know, are extremely lax. So it's very easy to buy large, large amounts of guns. And then once you have that, it's kind of easy to slip it into Haiti because in Haiti, there's I don't know the numbers, but, you know, it, you know, probably in the thousands of people are yes. regularly sending things back to their relatives in Haiti. And, 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 and to go through everything that people send back, and there's just lots of trade going through, and to go look at every single boat to, for a gun is, is difficult to do. Um, but we are, have been pressuring the U.S. to do more investigative work, to do more inspections, and obviously pressuring the, the uh, things at the, at the Haitian end to be, able to, um, to be able to stop some of those. Um, and in terms of are the reports now exaggerated to dissuade help, um, I you know I haven't really seen that. Um, yeah. I think that the, I think the, the the media does have a a bias towards sensationalism, but yeah. you know I, I I just think in this case things are so bad I'm not you know I'm not seeing that. There certainly in the past there has been uh, the media has over over. Um, you know, exaggerated things to make it kind of, um, you know, more sensational. But, uh, you know, I'm afraid I don't think that's happening now. You know, there is, well, actually, I will say there is a reality. I mean, not everywhere is gang control. And I, I do hear from friends who are living in parts of the country where, uh, you know, we are able to live a reasonably, uh, you know, reasonably safe existence. Although I'll also say, I actually just talked to a friend last night, a Haitian who his hometown had been until recently, Type of place where people could live reasonably normal lives, but that's not the case anymore. Thank you, Mary. And by the way, they had the drug, the drug for guns trade between Haiti and Jamaica. Some, I think that was in the two thousands and the nineties. I don't know where that is now, but they used to have the. the yeah, I think that's still happening. That's happening. There's so many guns in Haiti, and then yes. I assume, and I don't really know much about Jamaican gun laws, but I, I assume you have. You know, fairly good controls on guns compared to the United States, and that you know that that Haiti's yes. allowing allowing an evasion of those controls. Somebody had a follow up question regarding what Sean asked about gun trade. Who are the great minds of what? Uh, who is that? Somebody had a follow up question, but and then Mary, and then we wrap up in we're we're going to wrap up in a couple of minutes. So if you have questions, please let's hurry up and get through them. Because remember, we, we're going to wrap up in a few minutes. Now, he says, sir, I have a follow-up question regarding what Sean asked about gun trade. Who are the great minds and influence in Haiti? Yeah, that's an Wait. excellent question, Chantel. Um, you know, I think that, that the, one of the things to keep in mind, you know, I talked a little bit about this. We talked about Haiti being the most, one of the most unequal societies in, 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 in the world. Um, and the most unequal in the, in the Americas by far. Um, you have an elite. Um, that is, and it's mostly a few very wealthy families and that they control large parts of the economy. They run the ports, they own the factories, they often are large landowners and they through their, they don't get their, you know, their, their family members elected president, but they get them elected senator and they just buy off the president. Um, 
And so they're kind of doing a lot of uh, controlling and they also run gangs. You know, they sort of, they're respectable people in the sense that they, you know, they live in nice houses and they go to, go to fancy restaurants and they talk to diplomats and, um, but they're, you know, they're gangsters as well. I and mean, they're, they're running gangs through their factories or through some other organization as a way of, of extending their, both their political and their economic power. Thank you so much. And now, uh, Mary, I see your hand up. Your hand has been up for a while. Finally, we get to Mary. <coughs> Mary, and then we wrap up. Mary. Mary? I'm not hearing Mary, but Mary, I'll take a look at the chat if you want to, if you want to uh, yes. type it in the chat. I'm happy to look at that. And Alicia, Alicia, did you send your question in the chat? Sir, are you hearing me now? I am yeah. hearing you. Okay, go okay, ahead. Okay, great. Okay, good night again. Before I get cut off, let me ask a question. The crisis that Haiti is facing, both criminal and financial crisis, do you think there's any way out of that crisis or whatever position, what the position they're, they're in, do you think there's a solution to this problem? Yeah, I do, Mary. And thanks for being patient. And thanks for asking such a great question. Um, this is Alicia. Oh, Alicia. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you, Alicia, for asking such a great question. Um, this, this may sound easy, but it's true, is that the solution is democracy. Um, you know, from 1994 until 2004, when Haiti was allowed to have a democracy, it worked. Um, you know, it wasn't perfect but they were the struggles of democracy. They weren't the struggles of a dictatorship where, you know, where 60% of the country was controlled by gangs. And if the world were to again, allow Haiti's democracy to function, these yes. problems would not be erased. I mean, it's a poor country. It's going to remain that for a while anyway, but you would have reasonable stability and an opportunity to build prosperity. Um, there's, there's actually a group of, of, of Haitians that, it's now a year and a half ago, they came up with, it's called the Montana Accord. And it was this accord that was that was pretty broad-based and people got together. And a lot of these people were people who had been fighting tooth and nail for 20 years because they had real differences over how you exercise power and differences over policy and differences over personalities. But uh, two years ago, they came together and they said, you know, our differences over policies are nothing if we don't have a democratic government. And, and so they said, we're gonna put you know, all our differences aside, come together and come up for a roadmap for how we get our democracy back. And then we can go back to fighting. Um, and they did it and they came up with a realistic plan. Um, the problem was, which was that the US vetoed it and, and, and um, it, kind, it failed. But I don't think that, you know, so that current, the Montana um, Accord that process has lost momentum. I don't think it's currently viable, but I do think it's recoverable. I think that if the if the international community sat down and said, okay, we're gonna stop propping up the current government, we're going to allow a Haitian-led solution to emerge, then I think one could emerge. Um, and I think it, you know, Haitians, we all hear, and this comes a little bit back to, Erica's comment, you know, we all hear about bad things in Haiti and, and we think of Haiti as a place where people aren't 
are always shooting each other and fighting. Um, the fundamental truth is that Haiti is an incredibly consensus-based society. And I've seen people have this very constructive way and very sophisticated. And this is our people, I've, this is in the countryside where people have not had an opportunity to get an education. Many of them don't, don't didn't have an opportunity to learn to read, but they're able to have really sophisticated, respectful conversations about controversial issues because it's their individual skill, but it's also, there's a very strong cultural tradition of coming together. I mean, that's how Haiti survived in a hostile world for two centuries. We can, if, if, if Haiti's allowed to access that, the people will be able to come up with a, a solution. The problem really is that is that the U.S. and other powerful countries are not letting Haitians put their cultural consensus um, making to use. Thank you so much. And just so you know, I as we get ready to wrap up, um, we, you you always want when you whenever anytime you get into something, you always want to ask the question. What can you do to bring about change? What what responsibility do I have as an individual? What can I do? Okay, as we raise awareness in terms of as to what other persons are doing, the question is, what can we do? Um, how can we get involved to to uh, to to help our brothers and our sisters in Haiti? You know, and um, so that's the question. And of course, the, I just, I am sharing my screen. This is IGDA IJDH. And just so you know, they not, they, their work is international. They are here in the U.S., but they have they have an office in Haiti as well. Um, and so you can, and I'm reading it. It says, join IJDH Haiti Response Coalition and allies um, for a Haiti advocacy campaign to call on the U.S. government to stop supporting Haiti's repressive and corrupt government so that a Haitian-led solution to the crisis can emerge. The IJDH has helped to prepare extensive talking points to explain the complexity of the current situation and the harmful, shameful, and imperialist nature of current U.S. government policy. You can start by signing a petition calling on the U.S. government to let Haitians control their own democracy. As an individual, you can sign the petition. As an organization, you can join the sign-on letter and you can take action with the toolkit. So, And this is what they're calling on the U.S. to stop supporting Prime Minister Ariel Henry and the PHTK party and its political affiliates so that a Haitian solution, notice a Haitian solution to the crisis can emerge. One that is truly Haitian, that is led and informed by the Haitian. And um, so the question is, what does that look like? So um, what does that look like and how can that be done? Um, what does that look like and how can that be done in terms of, they say they're calling on, um, us to stop supporting prime minister, um, the US, uh, calling on the U.S. to stop supporting so that Haitian solution to the crisis can emerge. And I know that I, I spoke with a Haitian young woman, a lady, older lady who lives here in the U.S., but went to to uh, to Haiti, and she said that we need to come together um, as Haitians. We need we need to be more united. But what are some of the other ways? What what are, what is what is the solution that makes sense? That what are we supporting? What is it that we are supporting in terms of a solution that makes sense? Yeah. So one of the one of the things is that, that it, it's important to note that we we need to support a Haitian process rather than specific results. You know, there's yes. there's a lot of good discussion about 
well, international troops could do this or they could help the police doing this. All those would be interesting things to do at another time because it's okay. only really a legitimate Haitian government that can make those decisions. And so, so you know, it'd be very different. And this is kind of going back to you know, so your historical point. In 1994, there was an intervention that came to restore democracy. In 2004, there was another intervention that came to, to consolidate a coup d'etat. And it was a huge difference. The one that came to restore democracy, it worked restoring democracy. The one that, that came there to, to keep democracy out, that worked too. And yes. if it came in now, it would be to keep democracy out. And so what needs to happen is the U.S. and other countries need to let democracy come back to Haiti. And then the democratic government can say, we want a peacekeeping mission. We don't want a peacekeeping mission. We want this kind of aid. We don't want that kind of aid. And, and so that's really what we need to do is to get the democratic process back on track. And, and I think the, you know, the first thing, I think that CARICOM did quite a bit by refusing yes. to participate in, in the, um, in the, uh, you know, in, in the intervention. I think yes. the next kind of battle is within the OAS has created this, this um, working group on Haiti. And, you know, I, there's already some troubling signs. Um, so yes. Sanders, who's from from uh, Antigua, I believe, uh, he was he was nominated by every CARICOM country except Haiti to lead it. Haiti vetoed him, and it was clear he was not going to be able to do anything, so he felt forced to resign. That's not a good sign, you know. So there's going to be a fight within the OAS. I mean, I hope the, the the CARICOM countries can can really stand up for principles, realizing that you know that's not an easy thing to do. Um, that's one place, you know, in the United States, we're fighting hard to get our country to try to turn our country around. We have some allies in Congress. Um, and so, you know, we're working hard to try to get get our government to have a better policy towards Haiti. And we in Jamaica, I mean, or, well, I'm in the U.S., but those people in, and, you know, but I still have friends in Jamaica and those in the Caribbean. We have people who are who, who in our class and who are part of the seminary who lives all over the Caribbean. We we have reached in here all over the Caribbean. So I this is this is a good class. I'm so happy that you came and you shared. But Jason, I'm so sorry. Jason, your hand's been up. We're going to end with Jason. Oh, Mary, do you still have your question, Mary? For some reason, I'm not hearing anyone. Um, yes, Jason, yes, sir. Go ahead, Jason. Good night. Good night, sir. Good night. I have two questions. Jason Lawrence here. One of the questions is, in this catastrophe, the people of Haiti is going through, sir. The innocent are more vulnerable to the war. Do you have a view that U.S. want to colonize Haiti once um, in this time? The second question. Do you think the Caribbean allies are doing enough based on what it is going to to help them out their plight? Those are the two questions, sir. Two very good questions. Uh, so I don't think the 
the first question on whether the U.S. wants to colonize Haiti, I don't think in the sense that the U.S. wants to control Haiti. You know, for a time, the U.S. was, there actually, there were efforts in the 19th century, or they were thinking about physically annexing the country. From 1914 to 1934, 1915 to 1934, the U.S. occupied Haiti. Uh, and even after that, well, no, not since then. But so, I, but at this point, I don't think the U.S. wants to occupy Haiti. What I think it wants to do is to control it. And, and I think that the, you know, the efforts, it can control it by putting its people to, it wants to control Haiti by putting people in, in, in government in Haiti who will do the U.S.'s bidding. Uh, this actually came out, there was some, there was a release diplomatic cable back in, in 2010 from the U.S. Embassy where there was a, a president in place that we've been complaining about for, for he was trying to uh, manipulate elections. And the, the U.S. Embassy cable admitted that, yes, he's trying to manipulate the elections, but he does what, he what we tell him to, so we're going to keep reporting. That kind of sums up U.S. policy, and that obviously that obviously needs to change. Um, you know, in terms of your, in terms of, 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 of is CARICOM doing enough? I mean, you know, Haitians would like it, CARICOM to do more, um, but I think you need to recognize, you know, the CARICOM has done quite a bit. I think the recent statement saying it won't do the intervention and that it won't won't accept the, uh, the, the, the the unconstitutional accord. I think those are very good steps. Um, and we also have to recognize that, you know, that CARICOM countries are under a lot of pressure on this. So I guess I would just, you know, my kind of answer to that um, overall is that I'd encourage people following up on what Erica was saying, you know, encourage everybody to contact your government and let them know that, you know, that you feel that you want your country to stand up for Haiti. And Ronaldo, do you have, do you have Mario's letter to CARICOM? Yes, I do. I have a, yes, I do. You sent it to me. I, I do have Mario's letter to CARICOM and it's, uh, the students did, did, I think the students got a copy or, I mean, Good. access to it. It's on my website and I did public, I put all of it up there for people to read and see. Great. But um, I but I realized that there are people, still people who haven't seen it. So I will send it around, circulate it to the seminary students and the staff and let it become a big thing. And because I still, a lot of people are still not aware in terms of what is going on in Haiti, in Jamaica. And um, I think, um, and we, and I am going to be, we're going to be working, I'm going to be working with my, with the neoliberal, um, journalism staff to see what we could do and work with our with with our surrogates to get this letter and what's going on and the work that Brian is doing and others are doing um, to bring about democracy and justice and 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 to stabilize in the country definitely so I will I will send it to you guys each of you will get a copy of the letter okay and the letter was written by Maria Joseph who is the local attorney in. Um, yeah, he's with the Beardies Avocado International, which is our sister organization, and he's Haiti's most prominent human rights attorney. And it's I, I really encourage it's not a long letter. I would encourage everybody to read it because it really I, mean, I guess it answers Jason's question from a Haitian perspective. And that's a Haitian saying this is what we want from CARICOM. Yes. And um, let me see. Open letter to CARICOM. I actually have it here. Um, oh, yes. The students have this. They, yes. The students have this letter. And I'm reading it on April 24, 2019. Oh, no, this is something else. No, this came out in October. 
Oh, it's October. No, the students don't have this letter, actually. This is another open letter to Secretary General of CARICOM and CARICOM Heads of State, dated July 8th, 2019. And this was, letter was written by Peg. Oh, this is some, uh, some other letter. So, no, this is not the one that we're talking about. But I have the letter and I will share it with you. But um, the initial letter says that, um, and let me share my screen so, so people in the world can see that. Let me share my screen. Uh, let's see that here. Share. And good, uh, you're seeing my screen. It's a letter that says, um, doc, that says, Dear Dr. Barnett, who at the time was the General Secretary of the Caribbean Community, we are writing you in relation to the armed international intervention in Haiti that has been requested by Dr. Ariel Henry, the de facto prime minister of Haiti. Sorry? You hearing me now, sir? Are you hearing me? Mary. Sir? Okay, you're hearing me now. Okay. Wait, wait. When you are finished, I will make. Okay, okay, hold up. Can Let I, me... can I? Uh... Mary, Mary, no? Mary, no, 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 Mary, yes, is that sir. Mary? Sir? Okay, sorry about that. Um, I am reading a letter that was sent. I was, Ronaldo, I'm reading. Ronaldo, if I can interrupt you, I'm really sorry, but uh, you know, time's, time has flown. I actually need to leave. All right, it is 8.05. Yes, so we will stop here, but um, Mary, any questions that that you have, we can send, just send them, them to me. I'll send them to um, Brian, right, Brian? And then very thank smart. you. Thank you so much. We're going to ask for a vote of thanks. Who's going to do the vote of thanks? Uh, Chantel? Chantel, are you here? Oh, yes, I'm here. Chantel, yes, I'm is here. Gonna, Chantel is going to do the vote of thanks. And um, and then I will pray. And then we will then we will wrap up the class. But Chantel. Okay. I'm going to thank um, Mr. Brian. I want to thank you for being um, an, in your class tonight. It was very, uh, I know that all of us has learned something about what is happening in, in Haiti, and we do appreciate you coming and sharing with us um, what is happening and, and answering our questions. We want to thank you again, sir, for being here tonight, and we do wish you the best. And we hope that other Caribbean countries will also assist with assisting Haiti in getting not to a place where they can actually help themselves. and. Um, be be so. Thank you, sir, for being here tonight, and also for being a part of our class. We really appreciate you, and and also great answers. And we did we did learn something tonight, sir. So have a good have a good night, sir. Thank you. And thank you so much yourself for those kind words, and thank you everybody for for a wonderful discussion. Um, I really appreciate, it and I I hope we can continue this. Yeah, man. And just before you go, let's pray. Since we're at the seminary, we'd like to pray you out. Thank you, Lord God, for Brian, who came out of his busy schedule to share with us and to rap with us about what's going on with Haiti. May you continue to empower his agency and the work that they do. And may you help those who are involved in this Haitian situation to bring about resolution. These are not the mercies we ask. Amen. Okay, thank you so Amen. much, Brian. And Brian, I will keep in touch, okay? We'll keep in touch. Yeah, man, we will keep in touch and get this. Now Now we have a responsibility. People are saying they need to know more. They, people want to know more. And yes, 
people are hearing about what you, the work you're doing and we had over 3,000 or 2,000 viewers and they're asking that they want more on what's going on in Haiti. So we have heard and we will, we will, I will be doing some stuff with Brian soon. But thank you, Brian, and take care. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. We're going to take a quick five-minute break. And, um, and when we come back, we will wrap up the class. But just give me, I need five-minute break real quickly. I'm having a slight headache. So um, give me five minutes. I need to, just five minutes break, and then we wrap up when we come back. We will end at 8.15, okay? Okay, sir. Check your chat. You hear Mr. McKenzie? Oh, thank you. Yes. All right.
Sir, we're not hearing you. Oh, so I know. We are back and we are, this is, we just wrap up in, we'll end in five minutes. But um, thank you guys for the questions. Thank you for participating. What were your, what are your thoughts on the, um, on the presentation and the, and the what, what are your thoughts and what happened, transpired with um, Mr. Brian and what you have learned? How did you, how did you appreciate it? What, what are your thoughts? Oh, by the way, Miss Campbell sent an email. And by the way, if, sorry, and anyone, if anybody uh, wants, anyone, if anybody wants, if anybody wants to participate in um in the in this initiative, providing awareness and so on, you there's a way you can get involved, and we are working on our side to be, become um 
to get more involved in what's going on in Haiti and to promote more awareness in the among Caribbean countries. And that's where you guys can get involved by using taking to social media and sharing um, information, retweeting stuff, um, uh, uh, following up with your with with what's going on in with our own local leaders because Jamaica is on the forefront. Um, it's one of the major countries in CARICOM. So yes, get involved, um, speak with your government, tweet. But also, we are going to be doing a petition, and we would like you to share the petition with others. And when it's done, we will let you know how you can get involved. But for now, you can go to IJD. Um, sorry. Yeah, ijdh.org and they have a petition you can sign the but i think the petition is for the us we're working on creating one for caricom and one for caricom nation so that you can sign and share share it with others um also you know have conversations in your churches in your communities about what's going on in haiti because I, i'm telling you we are academics and we are we're exposed to collegiate training and knowledge but we still don't know everything. You know, I have years of college education and I'm still learning some of the stuff of, in terms of what's going on in Haiti. As I said, there is information and there is information. And I said to you, because, because of a lack of knowledge, people perish. When you know, then you can help your brothers and your sisters. When you are the good Samaritan and you see you are aware that your brother is in need of help will you not turn to that good samaritan i mean as a good samaritan to help your brother who is on the roadside but you have to first be aware so um they, we are working against people who 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 are hiding the information and the truth and i talked to you some time ago we talked in a class we looked at cinema and globalization and the importance of cinema in helping to unearth truth in helping to unve um, to unveil what was hidden, and I tell you that documentary film helps is is revolutionary because it puts it it uses violence to put before you what's going on in society. Okay, so um, those are, as soon as what we're going to publish this film, I have fil I have some podcasts, I have some articles, writings. Get involved, share articles, share what we're doing, the information that you have, share it with the world, and so on. Let people know what's going on and apply pressure. And as soon as we get information as to a petition where we can sign and get involved, we will do so. You can donate to um to IJDH and what they're doing, and you can also just share the information. That's that's even more powerful. Sharing the information. What you know, that's powerful. That's one of the ways you can get involved, okay? Write about these things and so on. And that's what I am doing. The discussion was very... Thank you so much, Mary. Mary, um, he, does, he did speak. Mary, yes, go ahead, Mary. You have some insights. Sir, I don't know if you are hearing me. I am. You're hearing me now, sir? Yes, you're good. Yes, sir. Uh, Mr. Brian touched on some very strong points. And I, I wanted to get some clarity. Um, he touched on um, that during the, the war, the revolve with Haiti and the France, um, he, said, he mentioned that a lot of blood was, was shed. So, so I want to get clarity and um this debt that he said that it is paying off to get their independent 
So I want to know if it's because of the war and these the people um, were killed, why they are being punished? Why Haiti are being punished? Why they have to be um, pay back this debt now for their independence? Well, of course, he talked about the collusion. He talked about the narrative. He talked about the fact that, you know, black people weren't supposed to, I mean, uh, they wanted to promote the narrative that, you know, black people not, if, Black people are not supposed to have their own country and they're not supposed to be prosperous. That threatened, yes. that threatened um, um, European and post-industrial dominance in the world. And Haiti, they've already paid it off. They've already paid the debt. They paid, the debt is paid. They paid it. But, it was a, it was a, but now in 2004, or between 2001, two, or was it 2004? I think sometime 2004, whatever the case might be, we know Jean-Bertrand Aristide put together a case um, trying to recoup some of the money. And, um, of course, France already admitted that, yes, we should not have done that. It was illegal. So, so we already have France or so the ambassador saying that, yes, we did that, which was illegal. It should not have been done. Um, but, in other words, Haiti had to pay billions of dollars to France in order that their independence could be recognized because they were the, the independent was not recognized, then other then they could not operate in terms as a country in terms of they couldn't get loans and all of that. So um so they decided that okay fine we're gonna have to pay it. Because I, what we had said is that why did they pay but they felt as though their hands were tied they had to pay this billion of dollars because they were not able to they were not able to be they weren't able to to uh, to trade with other countries. They weren't able to get loans and so on. So that affected them. So because they weren't recognizing it as a free, independent country, which, and I'm talking about the international community. They were guilty of this crime. They were guilty of this crime, as well. The international community, of not rec yeah. and you know. And just so you know, you say, for example, some countries have a way of putting, big countries have a way of putting embargoes on other countries. Putting embargoes. So if you trade with them, then we won't, our cities, then we won't, if you trade with them, then we're going to block you or, or you can't trade with us and so on and so forth. You know, but that's, those, you talk about the strategies where people try, you know, the strategy that certain countries use to keep other countries down. Say, for example, giving people international recognition. And if you don't get international recognition, then dog eat your supper, as we say in Jamaica. <laughs> mm -hmm. And sir, you mentioned about white supremacy. Yeah. You know, so, so you're another black country, the white keeping another black country under their feet. Yes, yes. But yeah. we will stop here today and, um, and, Next week, we will put into perspective what we heard from Mr. Castro and what we heard here tonight. And um, you guys are supposed to be interacting with the presentations last week. And Very week. interested, sir. I learned a lot. Please you can write let out some real secrets. Yeah. Well, this, the, this is the homework. This is your assignment. Write about what you have heard today. Write about how does it impact you? What have you learned? And what will you do? To help to bring about change in Haiti. That's what I will, okay. How were you impacted by the presentation today and what you've learned about Haiti? 
and um and what can we do and you do to help to bring about change based on what you're hearing so or or maybe you could conclude by saying there's nothing that we can do or so you know but that's what i would like you to do how did this what are your feelings in terms of what did you learn what new any information that you learned you didn't discover did anything you any information you heard today that caused you to change your mind about haiti and what's going on in haiti and um and what are some of the things and or ways that you think you can get involved in helping to bring about change in haiti okay it could mean what you can do in in, in even in your own country what we can do as um and to pressure to pressure our own jamaica uh, local government in terms of getting involved and so on so so that's what i would love for you guys to do to um for for the homework for this week write about the presentation this week and how it affected you or whether or not it affected if it affected you did it change your mind about anything did it change your mind and position about haiti um did you have any stigma any stereotype about haiti and so on and so forth and um what can you do to bring about change and what's going on in haiti um from where you sit in jamaica okay so that's the that's that's what and you will have i'm going to ask you guys to do now um i will be sending out several emails this week so watch the emails in terms of i will be marking all your papers those you have submitted and will be posting up paper grades on the platform this week I will um so I will start doing that. As of this week, I will mark I will submit those persons who have given me paperwork and I've graded you and if I haven't graded your work, I graded I start posting up grades. So far everyone has done everyone you um so far so good. Your participation in the class um and the 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 work that you have that you are submitting that's good. Um you guys are doing some good work. Um keep it up. And um just so you know that as you as you approach that the the paper, you guys should at least, at least start working on your papers. I want to spend some time this week. I want each of the group to meet with me this week, starting on Tuesday. So Tuesday I meet one group. Went um I could meet two groups on Tuesday, just for fifteen minutes, just to talk with you via Zoom, or we, we could talk on um WhatsApp with the video thingy. But I would like, and I work with Chantel to arrange this. But I want to meet with each group this week in your groups. Um, uh, some on Tuesday, between Tuesday and Thursday, just to see where you are in terms of the questions you are you're going to be research paper question you are take you're going to be tackling, and um, where you are and what in, and if you need any kind of direction on, or help with that. That is um, so that we will to next week. I was I want to spend some time with you guys next week in your groups before class on Friday. Next week, Friday, we will be watching the film, the film on corruption. We will have a lecture from um, Reverend Richard Beckford, Caribbean Theology. And then the following week, we're going to have a lecture from Reverend Hewitt Holmes from the University from Toronto. He's Jamaican, but he, he is he pastors a church in Toronto. He's going to be talking about sexual identity. And we'll also look at Rex Nettleford's statement and so on. And kind of try to bring the class to a close but there are two very important topics we're going to have to look at corruption um caribbean theology and sexual sexual se sexual identity and then the last class i really before the before we before the last class before the exam class i want us to do an introduction in podcasting some or digital content something to that effect that speaks to podcasting or digital technology in terms of 
expressing ideas and thoughts because this the new the new journalism now is is podcasting and independent news media and i want you guys to at least get accl acclimated to that since we're looking at caribbean thought but expressing that thought you know we use music and dance and stuff but what about 21st century technology and, and digital technology and so on and what are the tools that we have available in the caribbean to 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 promote expression and so on um and how how can we do that so i would love to at, at least at least an hour and a half to introduce you guys to podcasting and 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 talk to you about what are the benefits of that and where it leads and so on and so forth and you can start your own shows and um and trust me when when i start to talk to you about what you can do with podcasts and how easy it is for you and what you and then you guys and then i leave you to do your own you are going to be amazed by what you can do so I'm looking forward to that last class before the exam class. The last class before the exam class. Again, we will do that. We will expose you to that, okay? So thank you, guys. You guys were great. And um, I wish you all the best. Any question? Any question before we leave? We wrap up. Any question from anyone? No question. Okay. Well, that's about it. So remember, next week, Tuesday, between Tuesday and Thursday, I meet with each of the groups for 30, 50 to 30 minutes. And the assignment is that you write about, you, you were supposed to give me an assignment for last week when John Castro presented. So this week, and I asked, um, so you guys have that to give me for this, for the, for the assignment. And for next week's assignment, as it relates, for you to talk about what happened today? How did the public presentation affect you? What changed? What didn't change? And what will you do to bring about change in Haiti? What can we do? Okay? So that's the assignment for next week. One to two pages. Okay? You can do it as an... Um, you can do it... I like to do it in the group work. So do it as a group work. Um, no, actually, this one you can do in the... Mm, no, do it as a group. Do it as a group. Okay? Um, so if you do it as a group, then you can do at least three pages. And everyone should participate in the group at least everyone in the group should get involved in this, okay but you guys have been doing so well and the papers are improved the paper you guys are doing much better on the, the assignments and i like that okay all right so take care and this by the way i will pub i will publish this as a podcast in audio and video and so you you have it available to watch again so you guys can can watch it again and then you can do your summary okay Take care. And for those of us who are listening in delayed, thank you for listening to another episode of the Neoliberal Round by Ronaldo McKenzie and the Neoliberal Round podcast. And just so you know, support the Jamaica Theological Seminary and what they are doing to promote minds, international minds, to serve the world today, to solve tomorrow's challenges. You can donate, you can visit the Jamaica Theological Seminary by going to jts.edu.jm. Okay? And again, you can visit the neoliberal by going to theneoliberal.com. Support us at the at anchor.fm slash the neoliberal slash support. Walk good and take care. Good night.